we're ready to go. There's no secret. We're just straight into it this weekend, aren't we? Yeah, and there's no uh, there's no like streaming or anything either because we're just like doing this early in the day and we haven't had time to like you know get ourselves all nice and ready. Because this is the first episode of this podcast in over. 17 months, I think we discovered. Something like that, yeah. That we're recording physically in the same room. It's the first time we've been able to physically meet, meet up and see each other in just over a year and a half. Yeah, so if there's like audio discrepancies, like we're trying our best to volume match each other on one microphone at the moment. Yeah, and it's a pretty decent microphone. It's like it's a podcasting microphone. I don't think it's a podcasting mic for multiple people to speak into it unless you set it up a very specific way, which we don't have the room inclination or technical know-how to do so we have to apologize for anyone listening like this sounds weirder than the other ones it's like we're in the same room yeah and as i mentioned like we haven't quite figured out the microphone for both of us yet so it's just one of those of like bear with us we might be able to get like both microphones in next time and figure it out that way but just yeah i hope everything sounds okay for people i can't wait for the advice of why don't you just insert Thing that is prohibitively expensive, difficult, or um, uh, downright impossible to do for the sake of me, random stranger who listens to your content for free. Carl, why don't you just buy like two new $500 microphones and get an audio board and then you can level out everything up, like live? I'll not forget when that happened. That um, started lockdown. So obviously, we are, you know, we're still in lockdown, technically, I think. Uh, we're not in like lockdown, but we're still in a know, pandemic. In a there's... pandemic, and there's still things that could go awry. And um, just right at the start of that, when we were trying to figure out the recording remotely, which we're probably still going to do on every now and again, mm-hmm. um, probably around Christmas time for the, you know, the annual British lockdown that we've like, you know, seemingly just committed <laughs> to now, and as well for just if we happen to be further apart. And when we were first talking about it, I was discussing it online. It's like, oh yeah, we're trying to be transparent. We can't record in person. This is the solution we found. It's like, why don't you just, and just a series of like five or six suggestions we got over and over again. Um, some of my favourite ones of which were ignore the pandemic to record in person anyway, mm-hmm. and that was not even worth addressing because it's like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It's like we we make entertainment online. I'm not risking my life for entertainment. Why not, Carl? I'm not a doctor. I'm, I don't do anything important. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well, when we were able to record remotely and produce exact same quality, if not better, because that's something we discovered, isn't it? We can talk about in a moment. We can, yeah. Um, level of just audio fidelity and visual quality with the minor setbacks of me just not knowing how to work the equipment properly. Mm-hmm. Then the other one is just, why don't you buy everybody the same equipment that you have for the office? It's like, because the equipment in the office costs thousands of pounds. <laughs> and I can't afford to buy that multiple times over and then somehow ship it to the other people. And then even if I did do that, you don't have the space to set up like a full recording studio in your like living apartment. Yeah, because the thing is like um, my you know quote unquote office space. What do you mean now? It's very nice. It is, yeah, but it's it's like fine for a person just sitting at a desk because you know it's like a small bedroom that I've converted into an office room, but it's got not a recording studio or anything like that. Yeah, and uh, I'd say we uh, we use prosumer level stuff. Um, which is the word that I hate because it sounds so stupid, but it's the one that's often used in common parlance in regards to like the technical equipment for this. And Presuming that's just a professional consumer level. Yeah, it is the step before you go out and spend nine grand. Yeah. It's like um, you can get the entry-level ones. So I think the best way to describe this is most people um, listening to this, will, when they're using a microphone of some kind, will either use just their inbuilt stuff in their phone, 
um, maybe their headphones, their Bluetooth speak, uh, Bluetooth headphones for um, uh, what have you. Then like the next level up from that might be just those gaming headsets people use. Mm-hmm. And then if you're like somewhat serious about having decent quality, you might have a Blue Yeti, um, the Snowball. Yeah, I've got one of those. Yeah, yeah, everyone does. That's why I use it. It's the when you Google entry level microphone, it's like get the Blue Yeti Snowball. Everybody uses the Snowball. Yeah, and that's what um, back in the day when like I started a website with another friend of mine, like we both just got snowballs because we had no money at the time, and yep. it was like the cheapest entry option we can do to like record some some content and stuff like that. So, yeah, and they're like fifty pounds, and that's like you know that's not an in, insignificant amount of money, and I think that's why it's entry level because you do need to put a little bit of money into it, but you the the jump is quite dramatic from like just the speakers you'd find built into something like a Bluetooth headset. And then what we use is like the next step up in that same line. Is it specifically the blue yet? What's it called? Uh, this is, so the blue snowball is the entry level one. And this is the this Yeti. Is the blue Yeti. Okay. Yes. I get those two confused. And then that costs like two to 300 pounds. And I bought two of them, one for you, one for myself. Then the one beyond that is like seven, 800 pounds. Mm-hmm. And there's one beyond that still. The problem with um, uh, those microphones is that the jump from, the snowball to the Yeti is quite dramatic, but the jump from this to the next one up is much smaller. And that is also why, like, I didn't even bother suggesting to Carl, like, let's use the Yeti and the snowball separately to record rather than being on, like, this one Yeti mic because even though it's a bit difficult to get two people recorded on one microphone, the quality will still be better than if we did have that jump between like the snowball and the Yeti, one of us would sound significantly worse than the other. Yeah, and then the jump in quality you get with each um, um, like no upgrade is it's incremental and it gets um, ever so ever more slight. And it's the same with, like video recording equipment. It kind of goes cameras. up on like if people are aware, like it's kind of like a logarithmic scale where like you know the increases early on. A very a, dramatic. Like, very dramatic. Or I guess like inverse logarithmic scale. Where, yeah, it's really dramatic to start with. And then it's just like really decreasing values the more and more you go up. Yeah, you get diminishing returns with each upgrade you make to your equipment. And I feel mm-hmm. like the stuff we have for the channel and recording um, on our own is about as good as it's going to get without a massive um, financial cost. Because the only way we could get a significant jump in quality for audio and visual would be for just a significant um, investment. Because if I just bought the next one up from this, the actual jump would be almost imperceptible to all but the, you know, the people listening on high-quality headphones at home. I was going to say, because a lot of the people are probably just listening to this, like, maybe through, like, where the YouTube versions are out, like, like the TV speakers or mobile speakers they have, or maybe they're listening on, like, just some standard headphones or cheaper headphones. And, like, the percentage of people listening to a podcast on high-quality headphones where they can tell the difference between like this and the next mic up is going to be and then listening so to it fun. in like you know a lossless format because youtube compresses the shit out of everything and so does spotify mostly well ones. and the rss feed only allows me to put like mp3s up anyway so it's not even an uh, uncompressed format in the first place yeah. because the file size can't be very large and um the, the only way to avoid that would be to like you know set up a dedicated website where people download that stuff and we actually did get that because that was another suggestion we had when we talked about the podcast, we, mm. which we mentioned in it, of just, oh, yeah, we put it on Spotify because it's free. Why is it not on these other five services? It's like, because it costs money and time to do that. Mm-hmm. And even when it's free, it still costs time, which is money when yep. you like, you know, your time is your own, you work for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And just, yeah, it's very weird that um, 
that there are like you know people that complain about this free content and the quality of it and... all the time. Yeah, which is why we complain about them complaining. Yeah, because it's very frustrating to put out something that is you know on other people's ends completely free and then get shit talked for it. Like, just you have the option to not listen. Yeah, which um, we frequently tell people to do. So if you don't like it, you don't have to listen. And we're not fussed if you don't. Because something we mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago now is that the channel has started to plateau in terms of growth. And mm. that is already out of date because it started to grow again. And the- Yeah, and it's like up and down at the moment a bit with yeah. views. But it's definitely better than we were a couple of weeks ago when it was just like taking an absolute dive bomb for no reason. Yeah, and we, like, uh, I guess the tone we struck was not so much, um, like, nihilistic as just pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. when, when you see the numbers going down, so for context, the um, growth numbers were completely shot. It's the first time in, I think, two, three years, uh, the channel did not make an active profit because the channel has always been profitable the entire time um, it has existed in its current form. And since we got the first initial boost, um, from um, the first video going viral, uh, the channel has consistently operated at a profit since then. Mm-hmm. And that profit's varied, but it's always made more money than it costs to make each um, uh, each video and all the stuff I've got paid for in a month, like the office, other um, uh, related supplies. And yeah. then that was the first month, about a month ago, where it's like we, I checked, so I just have a like, you know, banking app on my phone for the business. I looked and went, oh, we made this much, and I spent this much out after I'd like you know paid myself, you, Nisha, Brad, and the office fees, um, all the stuff for like business rates, all that crap. And it was only like a couple hundred pounds difference. But I went, oh, okay, this is something we probably need to look at because we can operate at a loss for a, for a bit, but it's probably not a good idea to operate at a loss and not try to stop that happening. Mm-hmm. Of course. And like, that's the thing, isn't it? You were smart enough to not be living like month to month in terms of being a business. Like you had some money... In the coffers, as you always say. Yeah, the channel does have enough money to operate at a loss for a, conceivably a few months. We could operate making no money whatsoever for a couple of months at most. Um, but I was like pragmatic with you guys. And look, if it doesn't, if this doesn't turn around, well, you know, we're going to have to, have to talk about what we're going to do. Because I don't want to pay you less because paying you less means you've got to, um, uh, like, you know, find alternative ways to make money, which is difficult in this climate, especially when you've all thrown your lot in with me and like, no, not had a proper quote-unquote job for over a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we all sat down and worked on that together right, as a group. And it was almost completely pointless because randomly out of nowhere, a video got 400,000 views. Yeah, it's like by the time we'd already all like come to this conclusion, discussed it, decided what steps to take, then things started going back up a little bit again. Yeah, so we put like... And this is why we weren't too fussed or annoyed about it, because it was clearly a fault on YouTube's end. We went from getting 100,000 views on average per video with a couple hundred thousand just um, residual views and old content. Um, that got slashed by 60% mm. for no conceivable reason. And when it's a drop that dramatic, it's clearly not something we did. No, like unless there was something that we knew was horrific in a video, which obviously there wasn't. No, the closest we get is when I told Trump supporters to fuck off, and that was over a year ago. We actually got subscribers from doing that. We actually gained more following from telling people to fuck off because that video went viral. I was going to say, because like a lot of the time, even if we did do something horrible, that would just probably go viral, and then we'd end up getting more views anyway, and that's the awful part about being online. It's and like, we, and we talked it's about rewarded, that. yeah. Well, I talked about how um, uh, there's a break, uh, there's a, or a way to visualise it is, 
you like break here in terms of emergency, mm-hmm. like the glass that has like the thing that can save you in it. And for a YouTube channel, it's just the N word. It's like you break glass, you say it in a video, you go you go viral for doing it, and then you just release an apology video a week later. And to clarify for anyone that's like got three subscribers on the channel, don't do that. No, that will not work for you. What we're referring to is like an already successful channel that has the capability of going viral because they did something wrong. Like then a lot of the time the people that you'll piss off like over that, you know, week or two will go away, but a lot of people will then hear about your like channel anyway and, and then you'll get the rage you get the rage clicks for people wanting to complain about you you'll get the um, support clicks from like you know those kind of people mm-hmm. and i don't want those people's support as evidenced by the fact that yeah a video we did that went viral last year was telling trump supports to fuck off yeah and um, like we've constantly made a point of like you know what if you're like a racist just please stop listening to any of our content or watching any of our content and I think people would realise that. But I do like the idea. No, I don't like, but it's, it's amusing to think to me that there is that option. And that's an option that not only exists, but is viable and is almost guaranteed to work. Because something we um, experienced after we finished streaming a couple of days ago mm-hmm. was that we just sat downstairs and played a couple of games of Smash and we were talking about how um, we promoted your Twitch stream on the main channel. Yeah. And you got like a bunch of viewers from that and we were talking about these very concepts of like, Oh, so growing the channel is quite difficult, mm-hmm. and like, you know, this is the like, you know, the moment where you need like seize it, and, and we were talking about what you're going to do in regards to it. And you mentioned it's like, well, I could just scream a bunch of racial slurs, and not that that was in jest, obviously to it's clarify. Just, and you mentioned that, and it's been a thing. I, and you mentioned that you can't think of a single streamer where that's not been something they've done. Because if you think of almost any successful streamer mm-hmm. who's like big and notable outside of Twitch and their core audience. Uh, there's not one who's not done something like that. Yeah, and like this was like sparked partly by that conversation. And like I saw an advert come up with a few streamers in it, and, and we like, looked and we googled the oh, name yeah. of every streamer in it, and they've all said the n word. I was like, every oh, single one. I think I, th- I was like, I think there's only like, what one person in this advert that like, hasn't done it. And then you googled them, and they had, and I was like, right, okay, yeah, yeah. And to the point where like you looked at the ad, cause it's just an ad on Twitch for stuff with Twitch streamers in it. Mm, yeah. I think it was like Ninja and we went, yeah, Ninja said the N-word and it's like Pokimane. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't think she said it and I Googled her name. Yeah, she has. She apologised for it and she still has the tweets up. Yeah. And like most people delete those videos or tweets. Yeah. Well, she still has the one up where she apologises for saying it. And, and we just went through like a few people and it's just like, yep. Yeah, every yeah. every single yeah. one has done something like this and their career has not only not suffered, it has thrived since they've done that. Yeah. And I do wonder, like, if there is, like, a shadowy PR firm out there somewhere for Twitch streamers and content creators who advise them to do stuff like this. Because, you know, like, back in the mm. day with reality TV stars that always release a sex tape, like, a sex tape would get leaked yeah. to get their name in the press. Or is like, this the modern equivalent of that? Yeah, when it's, like, you know, on, um, like, Big Brother, for example, like, they'd always pretend, there'd always be that, like, one or two people that pretend to have sex together. Or would have sex or become a couple. Yeah. And become yeah. a will they, won't they thing to be in tabloids. And, I'm, and the moment they leave the house, it's like, oh, no, we, we, we weren't, we're not a couple. We broke up. Yeah. And then right? they okay. get, like, you know, there's two, like, forms of support they get. And then they're, like, constantly flirt with the idea of getting together. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, like, is this just a more advanced version of that? Because... I refuse to believe there's not at least one person out there who has done this because, as we mentioned, it is not only an observable phenomenon, it is pretty consistent. Because I can't think of a single person who's done something like that and has not gotten 
more successful, at least maintain their current level of success. I was going to say, at very least, it hasn't impacted them. And we will, like, I at least will specify, like, this is normally when it's like, you know, someone says something that's an offensive racial slur, but there are also people who are like, you know, have been caught for like sexual assault and stuff. That shit normally sticks with you, yeah. That, for the most part, now, there is a limit to what you can, like, what people are willing to forgive. Mm-hmm. And it seems that, like, the very, very tippy top, like the cusp before it becomes unforgivable, is being a racist and, or just saying something of a slur. Yeah, and it feels weird to me. And I, I, I have to assume that there is someone somewhere out there who has told someone to do this. And we are not telling people to go do this. No, but like. When you look at it, when you look at the numbers, like you said you were going through that ad and you were like, there's not a single person in this ad who hasn't said something racist in the past. Mm-hmm. And they're all here literally being put forward as the face of the platform you're trying to make it on. And the, the same often happens with YouTube channels as well. Um, and it's just one of those of like, yeah, it's weird that it is, as you say, such an observable like fact at this point. Yeah, to the point where we were sat there going... You can just Google a popular streamer's name and put N-word in, and you'll normally get either an apology video, a tweet about it, or them saying, this is not who I am, when you look at it and go, oh, 2020. Yeah. It was a year ago. Or you find, like, the article of reporting about the fact that they did say it because they've deleted all their apology videos and tweets about it because they're ashamed to admit it. And um, speaking of which, like, you know, we can move things back to, you know, just all recording stuff now because we recorded something called back for blood uh so we like streamed the back for blood beta yeah. with like me playing it and you watching me play this yeah. is a, this is a weird segue which you see that people streaming that game are like getting um uh, like low form of just controversy about it because the n-word gets screamed in that game yeah i came across like this i think it was like paul tassi the robot or forbes or i saw it where it's like there's a glitch causing the zombies to sound like they're screaming the N-word at people. Yeah, so, this, like, this probably sounds bad, like, wait, what racist zombies are in this game? So, the way it works is, um, the zombies are programmed to have a set number. It's just a game about shooting a big horde of zombies, and mm-hmm. they all have, like, pre-programmed responses, which generally are just like, mm-hmm. The problem is, sometimes, those two sound cues, or the sound cues will play over each other. Yeah, because and there's multiple have... zombies screaming at you at the same time, running at each other. And if you have a sat, like, I'm not going to do the noises because no, we no, clip it course. together. But let's say if you've got a zombie going grrr and grrr, and then you have one that says like, you know, maybe a growl that starts with an N, yeah. You can combine those two things together to like, you know, sound like a very naughty word. And there is like that a great video out there of like a black guy playing it on streams like the fuck did that zombie just call me yeah and that's the thing is there's only a couple of clips out there online of all of the people that have been recording and streaming and stuff so but the fact it can even happen in the first place yeah and it's clearly just as we said like a glitch where it's a couple of audio files playing over one another and but, like, know how we know that's true because there's another game where this happened wait what yeah I, I looked this up because i was like that's such a specific thing and then I saw there was another story happening again with Dead Rising 4. So it's another game about zombies where the zombies were also racist because it was the exact same issue. Where hordes of zombies with like overlaying sound clips just accidentally... Made it sound like they were screaming the N-word. Monkeys on a typewriter kind of situation, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, it's like that thing of like, if you eventually just throw enough stuff together, you're going to get that. It's like, it's a complete accident. 
and it's like a complete um, uh, just like random occurrence but the fact it's happened twice specifically in zombie games and specifically I presume it's the same word because like as we pointed out there's, there's always... a couple of like zombie noises that you could make that could easily go together to make that and there's a theory that there's zombie. like a stock library of zombie noises out there that games right. just use as um, uh, filler that wouldn't surprise me. And it's like, well, we're not going to go and record zombie groans for our video game. There's a fucking library of them here. There's 200 other games that have done zombie hordes in the past that have used those audio yeah. files. Why would you bring people into a studio to record them when we can just pay 20 quid to license this um, just like stock library of zombie noises and just mm-hmm. like, you know, attach each one of these noises to a zombie and give it a, um, a prerequisite of just like, oh, probability of occurring. Also, Carl, this is not a game about zombies. No, it's a game about... Ridden. Rid- the Ridden. Is yeah. that just call them zombies? It's called zombies. The, in the game, the lore is that they're called Ridden. But isn't that an amazing story, though, of that? There are two confirmed cases of just games accidentally making zombies racist. Yeah, and I guess on the plus side, in that situation, the racists are dead. Yeah. Like, at least there's that. But it's it's... That was one of the things I wanted to mention it because the fact that it happened is like hilarious in that macabre way of like I was gonna say in a very dark sense of humor kind of way. It's just like it it's like you can't even go into a video game. Like that's the thing, so like the old joke about video games is it's like just online is a cesspit. Like if you are a person of colour or a woman, you you cannot go onto a, a video game or even like stream mm-hmm. without there being some like, you know, racial abuse or like abuse of something thrown your way. Or just like anybody going on to like Call of Duty and getting told that like someone slept with the mother. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. No. It's like it's well known that way. And I'm just thinking, how bad it must be like, okay. So it's just say, uh, you know, like some black guy he buys a game. It's like, cool. I'm just gonna play a single player game. Like, you know, I'm sick of playing Call of Duty. I'm sick of streaming. And having people racially abuse me. I'm just going to play this new game for a bit. And then the second one, the N-word gets screamed at. I'm like, what? I can't escape it. It's like, no. You can't escape zombie racism. Oh, God. It's so ingrained. Is that the title of the episode? You can't escape zombie racism. Oh, God. It might have to be. It might have to be that one. Because you know what? That'll get clicked. <laughs> but it's just the fact it happened twice, specifically with zombie games. And that's why I like the, the it lends credence to the theory there's just a stock library of zombie noise. Who the fuck's going to single out a zombie noise and mm-hmm. say that's the same zombie noise they use in these other zombie games? Like, I think about how many zombie games there are. And think about especially games like, you know, as we, we mentioned those two games, like Dead Rising 4 and Back for Blood and games like Left 4 Dead as well, where the entire point it's is just, there's a mass of zombies coming at you and you can't, like really do that without just having a bunch of them all doing growls over one another to sound like a horde of and people. And they do need to have a, like, you know, a variety of a varied like, you know, library of like, growls and yeah, runs. you don't want to hear the same like three growls throughout the entire game shooting hundreds of thousands of zombies. Unless it's fucking hilarious which is why I love the game Nightmare Creatures where they give every monster one growl noise just rawr, rawr. <laughs> and when you fight any zombie you say rawr, rawr, over and over and over and it never gets old. So you got, if that, you know what, the guy who did that, perfect. Take First take, nailed it, you don't need another one. Rar, rar, it's so fucking good. And then I always just have oh. to mention, like, whenever we talk about, you know, 
effort noises and screams and growls. They're and so underappreciated. They are, but I always have to mention like Ocarina of Time Link. Just yeah, <laughs> just it's so good. Like yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. F is that what they call efforts? Efforts. They're yeah. called efforts. So that's like you know the grunts and just yells and screams of pain and the other random things you get in a video game mm-hmm. that isn't directly dialogue. And that is like an underappreciated like aspect of game design. I feel because and um, that for the most part, is generally the last day of shooting. And there's a great behind-the-scenes featurette about one of the Tony Hawk's games. Oh, yeah. A lot of the, t- a lot of the people in the, like, the early ones, they weren't voiced. But you did have each skater making grunts and growls and stuff when they landed oh, on the okay, floor. Yeah. So what they would do is they would get all these professional skaters in to, one, look over their character and say, does this character look like you? Is this how you dress? Are these eight polygons representative of yeah. you? <laughs> is this an outfit you'd wear? Is this like, would you agree that you know, you're better at I know, like grinding than you are jumping. Would you say, like, you know, this is your signature special moves, it look good? And then they'd get them into the recording booth and just say, okay, um, just pretend you're hurt. Mm-hmm. And they'd do that for about half an hour with each one and put them into it. So even though the other characters in early Tony Hawk's games were voiced, they were in a sense because the actual skaters themselves did all the efforts. And they didn't need to do that. They didn't need to get like Bob Burnquist in and make him say, okay, pretend you've just fell off your board and hurt your knee. They could have literally just got like you know, some cheap voice actors in to do it all. Yeah, they could have just got people in the studio to do it. But no, I mean, they... often that is the case, isn't it? Yeah. But they went to the effort of getting in. I see what I did there. To getting in the actual skateboarders being represented on screen. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, I think one of the Tony Hawk's games, one guy took the piss. Because I remember like one of the early Tony Hawk's games, I fell off the board with a random skater. And he was, ah! <laughs> for like 30 so I'm like, what the hell? And I, that must have just been a take he did and refused to do another one. Or they just thought it was that hilarious that they'd put it in as like an inside joke. Yeah, it's like uh, that Simpsons episode where Red Hot Chili Peppers are in it. Mm. And um, if you watch that episode when uh, Flea says "Hey Mo," it sounds really strange. Oh, okay, it sounds like really weird. It sounds like it's muted and that he's like not in the same room as everyone else. Because he literally wasn't. He was oh. outside the recording studio, and when they said you need to shout "Hey Mo" as loud as you can, and he was reading through the script, he shouted it so loud in the recording booth outside, outside of it, sorry, yeah. and that it picked up on the microphone inside. <laughs> and but keep in mind, the microphone inside a recording booth is completely soundproofed. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so soundproofed to the point where like, they didn't think you could get any sounds from outside in because any outside noise can ruin the take. And the, the sound engineers like, sitting on the microphone, it picked up and they went, just use that take. But it sounds bad. Like, no, but it's too funny not to use. So if you watch that episode, he comes in and goes, hey, Mo, but it sounds like he's like a mile away. Because he just used that take because he screams so loud. Oh, that's awesome. That's like, like an underappreciated aspect of that. It's like, how do you get someone to make the hurt noises? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I've listened to like some podcasts with voice actors on and stuff, and they're just saying like, yeah, the amount of times you have to do it where you're just pretending that you're like out of breath running and like... <laughs> oh, the Rugrats. Like, when Rugrats... <laughs> <laughs> so obviously when, like, it's Tara Strong. Like, they show her, it's, oh, Timmy Turner's falling down a hill. And the vo- the director is like, he's got like a stick figure and he's showing it fall down. And she has to do a noise each time like the figure hits. And when it hits its head, she has to make a different noise. And it's like, he just does it with his hand. And she goes, ow, ooh, ow. And then they show it on like the actual episode itself. It's fucking flawless. Like, mm. That's why she gets paid the big bucks. It is, yeah. Because she goes in for a minute and gets like, you know, she gets a minute's worth of footage for a minute at a time. And um, yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff. And it's like, for example, the effort that was put into like the Spider-Man games where... They recorded a they line have twice. Every single line recorded for if Spider-Man is like 
in the middle of combat or swinging, so he's out of breath. And it's like, did you really need to do that? Like, the answer is no, but no. the fact that they did it makes it so much more immersive and cool. Yeah, the answer is they did so that people like us can mention it in podcasts. Exactly. And it's like stuff that they didn't need to put into games, but I appreciate they did. It's like Red Dead. Well, they, for some reason, decided to program in horse-eating shit animations. Oh, I thought you were going to say the horse testicles. That's one, but, grow, but... but like, if your horse falls down a cliff, it'll just, like, starfish its way down. It's like, <laughs> they didn't need to program in the horse-eating shit that hard, but they did. And I appreciate oh. them doing that. But... Yeah, because, like, I played, like, the first couple of hours of Red Dead 2, Don't Come At Me Internet. And, um, yeah, at one point, like, my horse was struggling to stay on a mountainside, and it's like... Looked pretty damn realistic for what a horse looks like falling off the edge of yeah. a cliff. And it just slides and starts going into yeah. the, the, the flipping down the hill animation. It's like um, Last of Us 2, where like, all the stupid little details in that of, um, oh yeah, there's a bit, there's one section where you're in snow, and if you stand outside for longer, um, your snow will build up on your horse, because you're riding a horse during that section, and if you like take it inside, you'll see the, the snow will melt. And it's like, why? That's the thing is, I would argue, like, details like that might not be worth the time and money that you spent on them in a video game. But they kind of are. Like, that's the thing is, I can make the argument either way that they are worth it and they aren't worth it. Because, like, they are worth it because some people will notice it and then point it out and it's super cool. But at the same time, did you really need to make a guy work for a month on, like, the horse testicles shrinking and growing? Yeah, which also happens not in Last of Us 2, but in Red Dead. And that's what I mean in Red Dead, not in Last of Us. I don't think the uh, the horses have that in, in Last of Us, unfortunately. No, but there is like a lot of effort put into stuff like that. And I just it's the video gaming equivalent of like very similitude, which is a concept in film where they try and make the world feel real. Mm. Uh, so that's like little things like say for example someone puts a coffee cup down a table. Uh, people don't know how they generally record a lot of decent TV shows at least. Um every noise you hear, except for the dialogue, is recorded after and put in after the fact. Um uh, say for example I'm going to put a coffee cup down now hopefully that picked up like that noise that, that spiked for sure that, that did spike that like that noise in a TV show is not picked up or recorded on the day and that's why if you ever watch shows there's a thing people get annoyed about where it's like clearly cups and stuff aren't full oh yeah and you can yeah. clearly see that when they put like a cup of coffee down so like it's empty and that's because they don't want to make any noise because if the noise picks up it can ruin the dialogue and they add all of those noises in after the fact. That's where like Foley artists and stuff come in. Mm-hmm. And those Foley artists try to build the world to make it feel real, to, to increase like the very similitude you feel. Because like, it's not something you'd ever notice, but when it's not present, you do. Yeah, yeah. And it's like stuff like stock door opening noises and things like that. They take you out of the film because they don't feel real because you don't recognize it as what you expect to happen in that situation in reality. And again, it's like similar to efforts where it's an underappreciated aspect of it. Where if it's done well, you'll never notice it. But if it's done poorly, it sticks out and you might not be able to necessarily tell why. Yeah, sure. And um, when you mentioned like Foley artists, one thing I can't remember specific examples of right now, but I remember watching um, like a, a Vidoc for Destiny 2 and they were talking about like different aspects of working from home. And they were showing off like, oh, here's what some of the Foley artists have been doing. And they have to, like, obviously work with items they've now got in their house instead of the shit for the can, Foley work. And I it, do know someone who does Foley work for Disney. And right, they say, right. Like, because it's Disney, we've got a little bit of budget. Mm-hmm. We can get anything we want. And, like, what's your examples that stick out in your head of, like, stuff they could stuff to, like, drag around the house to make stuff? I couldn't remember, but, like, there's, like, ones where it's just people using, like, 
slinkies and shit like that on like weird objects and just figuring out all these different um sounds and stuff but the idea of like yeah you're working from home out and nowhere now uh you've got to do all this like crazy sound work from items you've got in your house that's like, why go for it i, I contend it is like it's an art form in of oh, itself yeah um because you know figuring stuff out if the friend i know does it and um, one of the things he told me is like if you want to get a neutral sound neutral sounds are generally the hardest to get which is the sound of the thing say for example concrete mm. if you want a neutral sound of concrete you have to hit concrete against other bits of concrete you can't right. hit it against something else because that doesn't sound like concrete but what about if the concrete block you've got weighs a ton how do you smash two bits of one ton concrete into each other to get the sound that you need? And the answer is um, you have to build a special rig. And he oh, says okay. like he once spent a week figuring out how to get concrete on like just two giant blocks of concrete on um, uh, like a pulley system mm. and then smash them into each other. But then they couldn't get any noise from the pulley. Yeah. So I had to figure out a way to make that silent. So yeah, that was an entire week um, to create just some crash noises for a film we're working on. And that's something you never think of. No. But it's like if we, we want to make it from scratch, because if we use like a stock noise, it might not exactly fit what we're doing here. Yeah, and um, I would encourage people to like, for any, you know, just go and look up any video of like Foley work if you don't know it's so fun. what it is, because like the amount of creativity involved in like the objects that they would use to get certain noises, like, you know, you can foresee, oh, the sound of concrete would be made by concrete. But then there's other ones where it's like, Oh, how do we get like the sound of like someone's skull cracking? And it's like, well, we can't crack somebody's skull, can and we? And as well, in cases like that, the actual noise itself does not sound what you'd like. It's like um, the most the easiest way to um, imagine that is like old punching sounds in movies, where it's like the really cartoon like thwack. Yeah, that's because a punch in real life is just. Just like that's me punching my, my not me hitting Lucas. That's me like punching into my <laughs> just hand. I'm like out of yeah. the podcast. That's for like, the rest so, of it though. That's a that's a really unsatisfying noise to hear, especially if you're used to, like, you know, the Chuck Norris movies where like, everything's accomplished by, like, a boom and a big whoosh mm-hmm. as the fist flies through the air. So, like, say for, like, a bone breaking, when someone breaks a bone, you generally don't hear it snap. I and mean, if you do, you hear, like, a, a clean, quick, just... You might hear, like, the tiniest little crack or pop or something like that. But, yeah, when you are making the sound for that, you can't do that. You've got to make it sound like people think it would sound in their head. And that, again, that's why I think it's like an art form because you are playing against and with people's expectations and like trying to strike a balance between the two. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like um, more modern action movies. Um, It's made it difficult to go back and watch older ones, especially because, like, you know, punching noises now, just in those old action movies, they sound hilarious. Mm -hmm. They sound so over the top. But, you know, I know that the ones in, like, say, John Wick, when John Wick hits someone, that's an exaggerated noise, but it sounds more realistic than the cartoonish slapping sound it's a better balance between your expectations and reality yeah and i think it does work with really over-the-top films like the jackie chan movie still though because it's an exaggerated version of reality where a fight scene is not going to have a guy doing 18 backflips so unless it's a jackie chan fight you know what i mean but like yeah the fact that you are watching just over-the-top scenarios and over-the-top fight scenes the over-the-topness of the sound effect still works in that environment. Yeah, because it's an elevated version of reality. And there are some pretty decent like folly work, bits of folly work in his movies, like um, the ladder fight in, I think it's the first strike or Who Am I? Mm. And it's where he's using an aluminum ladder to kick the shit out of people, and the noise work for that is fantastic. Especially, I know the fight scene, I just can't name the movie. Yet. Neither can I, because they all blend into each other, because I just watch Jackie Chan movies on a loop um, uh, every now and again when I get the urge to. But there's just like one specific moment in my mind where the uh, ladder snaps shut on his fingers. 
Mm. And it's just this really loud crack. And Jackie Chan, he always sells being hurt in his movies. He generally usually is. He's yeah. like, oh, oh, yeah. that classic Jackie <laughs> yeah. Chan. He's like, oh, I feel that because his acting sells the sound, like the sound and his acting and the action on screen all blend together to create. Um, this is really striking just image that makes you oh it makes you wince as well and it if does. any one of those things wouldn't have been as good or would have been like you know more exaggerated and stuck out more I don't think it would have worked as well no and like I the funny thing is before you even did like the, the waving of your hands you and know like, exactly the, the Jackie Chan face it's like yeah you could tell because that's what he does he does and he does it so well and as you say like a lot of the time it's because he is hurt but a lot of the time it, he's not he's just a great professional stuntman yeah and I want to say, like, it really annoys me that no matter what streaming service or whatever I look at, like, it's so hard to get those movies anywhere. Yeah, Jackie Chan movies and just old martial arts movies in general are really difficult to get over here. And there mm-hmm. are, like, specific streaming services for them. And it frustrates me, like, I watch a lot of Jackie Chan movies and I have them all on DVD because you go on Netflix, I want to watch a Jackie Chan movie. They've got the, what is it now, uh, Spy Next Door. Or they'll have, like, yeah, Rush Hour 2 or something like that, yeah. The Rush Hour movies are okay because Jackie Chan choreo- um, choreographed those. Oh, yeah, but, like, they're more, you know, Western. Hollywood, Western kind of, like, action comedy with a lot more, like, dialogue and a lot less action, whereas, you know, obviously his movies are traditionally more action-based. Than yeah, those. and as they went forward, he did um, uh, get more control of those Rush Hour movies. Mm-hmm. I think um, like one of the things he said is he doesn't like... Hollywood action because they just don't get it. Like they don't understand. Like when he says, "Okay, we need to do fifteen takes of this fight scene." It's like, why? Because I want to do it in one take. Right. I, need, I need to do it start to finish. We'll just cut it because no, because then it looks bad. Mm-hmm. And he tries to explain to him it looks bad. Uh, you can make you no know, cuts in fights look okay, but like you know, they're a last resort if you can't do the action properly or it's something that's not safe to realise without it and that's why he's got famous with stunts mm-hmm. but it's usually like you no know, single camera shot of his stunts so you can see that he did it in real life and he would just argue with people about this constantly of like you've got one day to film so it's going to take a week to choreograph at least and then at least maybe two days to film so now you've got a day and you can really tell the difference between like movies that have those kind of expectations where it's like, no, we're going to, we're going to shoot all this action shot in one day. And then other movies where it's like, no, okay, we're going to take our time and make sure we do it right. Like you can see the difference between like the amount of budget and time they were given. And as well, like when actual stunt coordinators and stunt men are used properly as well. Yeah. And it's especially, it must be really frustrating for someone like Jackie Chan, who is regarded as like the greatest stunt actor in history Mm -hmm. to be saying like, I'm going to choreograph this scene. They're telling him no. It's so like, uh, I think it's Police Story is the very famous, um, just one scene in the movie that makes no real impact on the plot. Oh, it has no impact on the plot, and it's Jackie Chan eating noodles talking on the phone. Oh, okay. That's it. And the the bit why it's so famous is because Jackie Chan is talking on like four phones at once, and he's like throwing them in the air and catching them. Oh, and then he's like holding his noodles in one hand, and he throws his chopsticks, and then they land in there, and then he's like kicking phones up. And that took him like three days to choreograph and film. Mm-hmm. But it's in the film, and it's fucking awesome. It's one of the best scenes in that film. And he talks about how when I ask to put stuff like that in Hollywood movies, they say no. And of course. It, and I think the way he sums it up is there was one film where they wanted me to walk through a gate. And I went, Jackie Chan doesn't walk through a gate. Why don't I jump over the fence? Why don't I do a backflip? Or if you don't want me to do that, don't put it in. Just assume that I walked into the building. No, just walk through the gate. <laughs> and then you smash cut to a film in Police Story where there's a gate in his front of the house. Instead of walking through it, he just like parkours and buzz a backflip over it. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for him to do that, but it does look cool. 
And I think there's like we did a fat thing video on this that is already out, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like just Jackie Chan does not walk through gates. Yeah, he like, says why not? And I think he told the director no one's going to pay money to see Jackie Chan walk through a gate. <laughs> and they told him no. And he's like, but I can just do it now. I don't even need any time. Just put roll the camera and I'll do something cool now. God, it's so frustrating when just yeah you have spent all this money working with such talented people. And then you ignore their advice. It's like, you bring him in and don't let him do his job. Yeah. Like, he's, he's even saying, like, I, I'll do it for him now. And I know that, like, there's a lot of directors that are kind of, you know, known for doing that kind of thing where, no, my vision is the only vision that matters. And it's like, but you're very good at directing a film. I'm good at directing like an action scene, for example, yeah, like with Jackie Chan. It's like my literal job to do this, and they're telling him no. And that's one of the reasons why he doesn't generally make Hollywood productions anymore. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like not having the freedom to do his own stuff. And also, I presume, like, you know, he's, he's getting on a bit, and he probably doesn't want to as much now. He still can. He still loves he, it. I'm sure he still loves it, but, like, he doesn't need to. Yeah, but he, that's the thing. He doesn't need to, but he still does. And that's why, like, he's going to live forever. <laughs> he's gonna live forever. He's gonna be doing it into his eighties. I'd love it if Jackie Chan lived forever. He's gonna. Like, That's the thing. Like, awesome there's all those movies, isn't there? Where you have like the old master teaching mm-hmm. people, and they still kick the young guys' ass. That happens in some of his early movies. Yeah, he'll, he'll be that guy. Like, it'll be like you know, a quite it'll be a literal metaphorical passing of the torch. It's just that we've not found anyone. Did to he take not over already him. literally become? Don't Mr. say Miyagi. Karate Kid. Don't say Karate Kid. Fuck that movie, Carl. Because like you know, Jaden Smith became a Karate Kid. Oh <sighs> yeah. That yeah. was that was a franchise and a half there, wasn't it? It was. They, they milked that to death. That one movie just fell on its ass so hard. And then, then they made Cobra Kai and it was all okay. Cobra Kai's all right. And I'm thinking there's like not really been a next great action star. There's been a couple of like you know, slow starters, and but they didn't really go anywhere. Like you had Jason Statham for a while. And Jason Statham, but he's now he's like in his 40s. The well, last thing is you can look at a lot of like, you know, the Fast and Furious cast and it's like they are all action like, stars, but they're all in like the 40s and 50s. You yeah. can't really think of anyone who's like 20s, 30s. It's like a bit of an up and comer. There's no equivalent to like your Jackie Chans and your Bruce Lee's coming in, and like, you know, showcasing a new talent. It's more like the directors, it's people behind the cameras. Mm-hmm. They have like the director of um, John Wick, it's Chad Stokeski or something like that. Because he was like from stunt work, wasn't he? Originally, he did the, he, um, did the stunt work with Whooping on the Matrix and oh, the sequels. Okay. And he like so it's more directors who were like driving action forward, more than stars. Mm-hmm. It's a shame there's not like you know that poster like child for it. Like here's like you know the symbol of um, burgeoning action scene. It's more just like films that are acting as touchstones. Like you had um, and like you know people behind the camera, mm-hmm. which is still good, but it doesn't. I feel it doesn't get as much. Um, uh, not respect, but acknowledgement when there's no single person that you can just point to and say, that's that's what we want this genre to be. Yeah, and I'm sure there are some examples, but there's no one to, like, the name of, like, a Jackie Chan at the moment. Yeah, like, there will be people out there thinking right now, but I know there's, like, you know, a bunch of young martial arts, like Tony Jao was another one, like, back in the day when he mm. did Ong Back, but then he retired and then came back a little bit later with he retired during the peak of his physical fitness. So at the time he could have been like, you know, driving the genre forward. He was doing other stuff. And Ong Back was another one of those people that says like all his own stunts, incredible like choreography. And then did a couple of movies, kind of disappeared. And now he's like do, being a background character and stuff like Fast and Furious movies where they don't let him showcase his athleticism. Right, yeah. And they do the same thing. They cut around all of the action scenes as opposed to letting him choreograph them because these things in our production line. 
And that's the thing, isn't it? Of like, I guess a lot of movies now just they don't need that because they've got the CGI, they've got the the budget mm. to be a big, like, you know, a Marvel movie, a Transformers movie. We can just have CGI monsters everywhere and have explosions everywhere. You don't need the nitty gritty hand to hand combat, low budget scenarios. Right. Um, but I do appreciate they try to sometimes get in, like the Winter Soldier fight is a famous one where. Oh yeah, it's not like they're non-existent. There are moments for sure. And I remember reading some stuff about that where they talk about how the studio wanted to cut that. Or they said like you need to figure out a way to make this less complicated because it's, you're taking days of the production schedule of like Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan working with this guy when we could be filming other stuff. I'm like, no, this is really important. Like these guys, we need to showcase like Captain America as um, like you know a formidable hand-to-hand opponent, and we need to show that the Winter Soldier is a threat to him. Show the scene right at the start that mm-hmm. shows why Captain America is a threat. So now you need to see why the Winter Soldier can stand up to him. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Of like you know we've got 20 other movies that showcase the big CGI exciting things that every now and then it's nice to get down to earth and just have like a cool hand-to-hand fight. And I think even in Marvel, like obviously the Netflix shows show that off yeah. quite well, the difference between like Daredevil Daredevil and Punisher versus Iron Fist fight scenes where yeah. Iron Fist was just horrendous, messy jump cuts everywhere. And it's like, cool, I and can't that, tell what's going on. And that might be it because um, uh, we're now getting... You know, the the redux of that. We're getting Shang-Chi. We are. And yeah. I've not seen anything for like I'm super excited about the idea of a kung fu movie in the Marvel Universe. Because I think the Marvel mm. Universe is a great vehicle for genre flicks. I think the Marvel Universe now, it will no longer be Marvel movies. They are genre flicks inside the Marvel Universe. So we're going to start... I mean, I could argue that it's been like that for a while. It has. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad that it seems like they're trying to do that more because they're going to have to. Because they have to go smaller scale with like the pandemic and stuff where... They had a taste of it with Ant-Man. So, okay, it's a heist movie. That's a Marvel movie. That also mm-hmm. happens to be set in the Marvel Universe. Same with, like, Winter Soldier. It's where a spy it's like movie. The, the spy thriller, yeah. And... In a um, set in the Marvel Universe. Like, I want a kung fu movie in the Marvel Universe. And, like, the director of that, I think he died recently. I know, oh, the right. stunt director. Oh, the stunt director. Uh, he was right. um, Jackie Chan. Brad Allen. He was Jackie Chan's um, uh, protégé. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, he just died unexpectedly, and he's done all the choreography and stunt work on... Um, Shang-Chi because they're like we need to make sure like if this is the first Asian superhero and it's like you know a homage a send up to this genre the fuck are we doing if we don't have like the best most well choreographed fight scenes of any of these movies and I hope that does work out well because as you said like I'm similar where at this point with Marvel movies, I like to know they're going to exist and then go blackout on them. Yes, yeah, so I've seen nothing about Shang-Chi, so I know the name, Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, got a, I've, I've got a subscription to Empire, and it's annoying because like, they always have the Marvel movies in there to sell it. So, yes. I don't want to read about Shang-Chi. So I read some stuff with the director and the choreographer when they're talking about this, but I didn't want to read any plot like details. behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah. So I was like awkwardly reading this article about Shang-Chi in there while I tried to ignore the pictures. I don't want to see anyone in it because I want to be surprised. After a year of not going to the cinema, I'm looking forward to being able to watch a movie and be surprised. And that's the question is like, will we be able to go to the cinema to go see the new Marvel movies? We don't know. I'm definitely going to watch that one because I want to support Well, it's a, a question of like, what what condition is the country going to be yeah. in by the time that movie comes out? Because, you know, to, to like just go off uh, track a little bit for a minute, it's like Suicide Squad just came out and like had a horrendous box office because like 
the no Delta variant spreading and no one wants to go to a, a cinema movie at the moment. It doesn't help as well that it looks bad. By which I mean, like the film itself is getting good reviews, but it looks bad. There was a gif going round of just a scene from the film that illustrates this, and it's uh, Idris Elba firing a gun. Mm. And it's just him, and he pulls out a gun and just starts slapping bits onto it, and it turns into a bigger CGI gun. And there was like um, just one of those shitty YouTube movie critics, like, how can you not love this? It's like, it looks fucking flaccid. It's so, there's no weight or impact to anything happening. Um, and you right. can tell Idris Elba is just on a soundstage with like a prop. And the comparison I saw is like, well, compare that um, to this scene from um, District 9, mm. where um, Wickus is firing the alien gun. And he yeah. fires it and there's like explosions and it looks like a real prop. Because mm-hmm. it was. It was a physical prop and then they like, you know, used practical effects to achieve all the explosions. Like I forgot like how cool the alien guns looked in that movie and how real and grounded they felt like when they're having the um the training montage of like when they're seeing if the alien guns work in his hand. Oh yeah, yeah. And you just see they like, how did they do that? That looks fucking or oh, the robot suit he gets in. Mm. And because they the camera work and stuff is like that's another thing we talked about in the Pacific Rim video we made. Yes. About when you've got CGI, um, Gilmer Del Toro, which is a fucking legend and he knows what he's doing, says when you're filming CGI, um, a lot of directors feel, well, now we can just have the camera go anywhere. We can make it fly around. Yeah, we've got this like just drone of a camera that we can just fly around this massive CGI landscape and show all the action. But yeah. the, the entire point and what we brought up in that video was just but Guillermo Del Toro for Pacific Rim was like, no, because... It needs to feel grounded and realistic in some way. So that's through the camera work. And you put the cameraman in that CGI scene as if it was a person recording yeah. it. And he says stuff like uh, for when you're filming the Jaegers uh, walking down the street, like it would be a temptation of another director who wants to show that off to have a flying camera that shows it all in profile from its height. And But I didn't want to approach it like that. I wanted to approach it as if we could build these things for real. And how would I film something that size for real? Well, I'd have to film it from street level. And what would happen if you were filming a 95-ton robot walking down the street from street level? The camera would shake. Mm -hmm. And he sat in on the CGI process and directed them. It's like, when the Jaeger takes a step, the camera should shake. And they would ask him why. Because treat it as if it was a real physical object in the world. The cameraman filming it would be shaking, yeah. And it's something you go all the way back to Jurassic Park and watch that with um, the iconic T-Rex appearing in the rain scene. Uh, if you watch that, like when the CGI T-Rex takes a step, the camera itself moves, even though the camera wasn't moving at the time mm-hmm. because the camera was just a static shot. Of it. But like Spielberg made sure that the, they shook the camera when it happened because if a 90-ton T-Rex walked past, the camera would shake. And even if, like, we have, you know, technologies like Steadicam and dollies and all this, it still it isn't about whether the camera would shake or not using our technology. It's about how it would feel to the person watching it. Because the cameraman is, like, you know, a stand-in for the audience. What we mentioned earlier, it's, it's striking that balance between what you expect to happen and what would happen. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, just watching that scene... Like from um, Suicide Squad, it's like there's no impact, nothing feels grounded, and it's weird to say that in a film where it's like you know all these weird, eclectic, colourful characters. But that's part of the balancing act you have to strike. Of if it doesn't feel grounded and there's no weight to it, um, nothing will have any impact, and it's just it looks wrong to the eye, even if you can't necessarily explain why it feels that way. And like that's fair enough. I can't say I've really seen anything about Suicide Squad again. I just no, it exists. No, it was done by James Gunn and went blackout on it. 
and I've seen like people saying really good things, so I'm excited to see it. But yeah, um, I haven't seen that shot, but I can totally understand what you mean of like when you just look at something and go, "There's no weight, there's no impact." I can't, I can tell that this wasn't there in the scene. Yeah, I can tell that Idris Elba's sudden a soundstage, not wielding the real gun. Mm-hmm. He was in like District Nine, and you see when you see um, uh, Charles O'Copley running around with an alien gun. That's the actor on a real set in the middle of Johannesburg, running around with an alien gun and the big prop alien arm on, mm-hmm. um, like with explosions actually going off around him, and the CGI gets added on after the fact when he fires it. But it's like, yeah, that's... It's, it's better, and it's cheaper as well. That's the thing. I'll never understand how movies can get to this point where it's still cheaper to do practical effects and use this sort of thing, and they choose CGI. But then you get to a point, like, at what level does the CGI become cheaper? Because... You know when you've got a director like Christopher Nolan where, like... Uh, Everything's done for real. You know, all of, like, the sets that he built. Like, the giant rotating corridor, yeah. for example. It like looks the, better. It looks way better, but I w- wonder when you get into that level of building that giant prop stage uh, for just a corridor scene, like, would it have been cheaper to just do it a different way? Generally, it is usually cheaper to do practical effects. Um, I know generally it is, but I'm wondering at what scale the practical effects have to get where it would have been cheaper to just CGI it. I don't know, but I, like, with stuff like with Christopher Nolan's thing, like, the one that always um, sticks out to me is it's not even a particularly impressive shot. Mm. It's, it's probably a shot that a lot of people thought was just CGI in some way, and it's um, in Interstellar, the giant field of corn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a real field of corn. Mm-hmm. Because the, like, um, the production design was like, well, you know, we can just CGI a fucking field of corn. We can like you know, plant a little bit and film in that and then... Uh, flesh the rest out with CGI. Copy paste it all out, basically. And he yeah. went, no, just plant some corn. And they planted an entire field of corn, went and filmed some more of the movie for nine months until it grew, and then went back, mm-hmm. filmed in the cornfield, and then sold the corn. Yeah. And they actually made a profit on that scene because the corn sold for more than it cost to plant. <laughs> and they actually made it. And I was like, yeah, and that's the thing with practical effects as well. I would love a system where after they're finished making the movie, they sell them off. Mm, yeah. Like, or, like, you know, put them in, like, you know, with Marvel movies, they'll probably have, like, a thing in Disneyland where they have them on display. Like, probably, yeah. I would pay, like, cold, hard cash for a prop for a movie I liked. And I'm sure there's, like, because the, there are some props that get sold off, aren't there? And then there's some bits that get kept for the studios to have and stuff like that. A lot of the time, you just get thrown away or chucked in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, but, you know, say, for example, um, the Industrial Light of Magic, uh, ILM. Yeah. They often will like keep all the props that they use because generic sci-fi prop can then just get useful twenty other sci-fi films in the background and stuff like that. And they're useful for reference and things of that nature. But it's like when you um, again watch behind the scenes material and you see like production art mm-hmm. and you see like um, concept artists and like oh yeah, he's like this immaculate like A three painting of what we think um, this scene's gonna look like. And you look and go, yeah, it's really good. And they put it in a drawer, in a folder, and they'll never look at it again. So I'd fucking buy that. Yeah, yeah. How many of them have they got just sat around somewhere that I, you know, I buy? Well, I was watching um, a video not long ago where it's like talking to, I think it was like the concept artist for Mummy, the Mummy film. Oh, I would pay so and much like, money. And like the for guy some... just still had all of his sketches. I would pay so much money for something from the Mummy movie. <laughs> like, it's I, crazy. I, I rewatched it recently because. Um, I just went, you know what? I need to watch The Mummy again. Mm. And do you remember the shot in the film where, like, um, Brendan Fraser walks in and Benny tries to run away? 
because he, he does. He thinks he doesn't think he survived. And Brendan Fraser throws a chair at the guy. <laughs> that wasn't in the script. Brendan Fraser just did it, and he fucking nailed the guy. <laughs> like Brendan Fraser just picks up and just throws this chair, and it's such a perfect throw. Like he hits him from like a good mile away. And it's just like it's, and then the, everyone in that film's having so much fun. Mm. Like when um, the mummy Imhotep turns up. And he screams in Brendan Fraser's face and he screams back and shotguns him. It's like, that's <laughs> so perfect. I love it so much. Oh, God. And, like, yeah, I can't remember too much about that film, but, like, just watching that video where they're talking about, like, here's the concept and here's what made like, I'm really impressed that he managed to make that movie look as good as they did. Most of it was practical effects, with the exception of, like, Imhotep himself, which mm-hmm. didn't look great, but because they filmed a lot of it, not on location in Egypt, I believe it was Morocco, mm. they, filmed, so they did film it in a desert. Right, yeah, yeah. And the story I think we've told on the channel is that they all had kidnapping insurance because it's one of the few times I've ever filmed like a big Hollywood production there. Oh, God. So all the actors had to sign like a waiver and like, okay, we're going to insure you in case you get kidnapped. And especially when this is filmed in like 1999 where yeah. like you don't have a phone that's just got your GPS location on it at all times and stuff like that. So yeah. they had to do that for all the actors and a lot of it was filmed on location with actual props and actual like, you know, sets uh, and in locations that existed. And it still holds up, especially because I um, uh, got the Blu-ray for it. Mm. And it looks really good with these, those CGI scenes. But, like, all the shots like we're going through the desert are just like Brendan Fraser. And his outfit is immaculate. Yeah. So good. And again, that was because the um, production designers like, we need this outfit to look realistic and worn in. And they spent ages just weathering and aging his outfit. Right, yeah, and yeah. It's something you never notice, but when you see it in the films, like, it looks good. It doesn't look like something they dragged off a shelf. It looks like something the character has worn for like three years. And I really appreciate that there's a mix of that where, not necessarily for the mummy, but um, a lot of the time when it's like, oh yeah, we, we need like just some clothing that's worn out. And it's like, well, we managed to find these things in charity shops and then we had to make these bits ourselves and wear them down. But the fact that it's not just all of one yeah. or the other, it's the fact that it's a... Well, we managed to find these scuff boots in a charity shop for like two quid. And we're going to work them up, yeah. I um, love stuff like that. It's like model smashing and things like that. Where um, Oh, yeah. To, that's how the Tumblr got made in Batman. You mentioned Batman earlier, the Tumblr in that. It was a, a guy went and got a bunch of toys. Like, he got a Batmobile toy, mm. and then he got a bunch of other ones, like generic tank toys, stuff like that. And they just took the models apart and then stuck them all together and made a prototype version of the Tumblr. Took it to Christopher Nolan and went, that's awesome, make it. I thought the first concept was just like made out of a lump of clay or something. They did that and then they took models. Oh, to make okay, it. yeah. I was so they, say. they got the basic shape. Anyway, that's good. And then they got a bat. They got a Batman Batmobile toy, so they could use like the Batmobile elements on it, and then just stuck it on. It's like, yeah, that's fun. That's what they do with outfits. So they take one bit of this, a little bit of that. I like grab. Okay, we need this specific kind of material. Let's mm-hmm. go to a shop and find a shop thing that has that material. And, um, there's a great interview with the lady who did the um, outfit for Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah. She talks about it. Well, I made this coat for Indiana Jones, like the Indiana Jones, the jacket. And she, well, originally, um, it was designed for Burt Reynolds. Oh. Burt Reynolds was going to be Indiana Jones. And then Harrison Ford came in. And Burt Reynolds is six foot three. Harrison Ford's like 5'10. Hmm. So I made a jacket that was made to measure for Burt Reynolds. And then I got told <laughs> with a week to go, you've got to make a new one for Harrison Ford. Oh no. And she said like, she made one from scratch, but she made it look brand new. Yeah. And the problem is it's brand new. Indiana Jones is like, supposed to be wearing this thing for decades. Mm-hmm. I know it's his jacket. And she's like, well, I had to figure out how to age this jacket a decade in a day. Unfortunately, Harrison Ford was there um, trying it on. And when she mentioned this to him, he's a carpenter. 
Oh, he, he yeah, just of course for, he is. for no reason at all just carries his carpeting tools around with him. <laughs> and he sat down with her and aged the jacket up like he cut patches out and then sewed le- like bits of patches of leather and stuff back onto it mm-hmm. and used his tools to like scuff it in a realistic way under her direction. And like I can't remember if it, this is something I know because of you or not, but like isn't it that Harrison Ford while he's on set will go and just like Fix up people's houses and stuff. That happened once, but um, generally, what he because he's a very private person, he doesn't do many interviews, doesn't talk to a lot of people. And there's a story from someone who was like they were from like Star Wars or something nearby, right? Or yeah. like maybe one of those action movies he was in in the um, the eighties. Mm. He rented a house nearby, and like, the production just rented him a house. And this lady, like, yeah, for six months, um, they just told me like Harrison Ford's going to live in your house. You his money go stay in a hotel nearby. Yeah. And they came back, and Harrison Ford had fixed everything in their house. Mm. Like they had like a squeaky door that had been fixed. Like you know, he'd, he'd plane <laughs> stuff down. He'd like read on the flooring. He tiled their bathroom. Yeah. And they asked him like, "Did you do this?" And, yeah, I get really bored. Yeah. I find it relaxing to do carpentry work. And they asked him, "Do you have any money for it?" He's like, "No, I just I just, just want kept it. me entertained. It, yeah. kept, it kept me sane for the six months while I was like, you know, making the movie." He's like, "Yeah, Harrison Ford is a carpenter who accidentally became an actor." Yeah, yeah, because he was just um, on like on stage, like with um, George, George Lucas. Yeah, yeah, American Graffiti. He was the stage designer, and then he was just like working on set. And it's like, George oh, hey, Luke, do you want to yeah. be in the movie? It's like, and he went, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. And he's like aloof personality, like endeared into George Lucas. And I just, oh god, I do love that. But I, yeah, I just find it so funny now. Where I'm like, we've been doing this for so long, I'm like. Do I know this? Because Carl <laughs> told me this thing. Yes, yeah, that's the great one about the like with accidentally famous. We mentioned Jason Statham earlier. Mm. He's accidentally famous as well because he was originally um, an Olympic diver. Do you know? That? Yeah, because I saw this going around on Reddit of like, oh, here's Jason Statham like 26 years ago. That you're like, uh, like, come and was the Olympics or it like the Olympic, Commonwealth Games or something. Yeah, it was the Olympic um, qualifications, and he was like a high diver. <laughs> I was like, hang on, that is actually Jason Statham, what the fuck? You need to boot with your PC right now, because there's another aspect of Jason Statham's, like, career I need to bring up. Okay. And, um, like, basically he was, um, like, he graduated school, he was um, an Olympic helpful for the high dive, he was very athletic, that's one of the reasons he's, like, so fit, he did, like, a lot of martial arts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He was also a male model. Oh, man. So putting Jason Statham modelling early. Because you need to look at the early, obviously, you need to look at his early modeling photos. Okay. And just, you see, it's, there he is, look. Just like these ones here. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> these are, he looks nothing like Jason Statham, does it? No, it doesn't. He looks like just a generic dude. Yeah, just some random, like, guy that they found on the street wearing some trackies. Like, hey, mate, can we take a picture he's, of you? He's weird as well. He looks more bald than, like, 25 years ago. Than he does now. Yeah, because it looks there like he's not leaning into it. He's not shaving his head. He's not, no. And he's like, go up as well. Is that other one? There's the one, uh, the catwalks. He walks on a catwalk. Look how red he is. Oh my, I didn't <laughs> think that was a picture of Jason Statham then. Like, I genuinely thought that was a wrong picture because no. I saw how like brown the guy it's, was yeah, in the it's picture. It's Jason Statham with a fake tan. The fakest of tin, tins, tans. And because he was a model in the early 90s, he wearing some really shit early 90s clothes. And they're all, like, bright white to make him look even worse. Yeah, he looks fucking horrendous. And the way he got into acting was um, he was a small-time petty crook. Mm. You see there as well, if you go to the very top on top left, um, there he is in a music video. 
where he dances in the background in a leopard print thong. <laughs> and that's another one of his early roles. Oh, he is a better shot of it there. Yeah, he dances like, there he is, look, zoom in. <laughs> Just my word. In the background in a leopard print thong. That's his very earliest acting gig. And he got that because when he was swimming, you will notice he's really in shape. He's really in shape. You know, he's generically handsome. Mm-hmm. He's got like, very chiseled features. Um, uh, he's got that sort of like gruff look. Yeah. And um, he was also like a petty crook for real. And Guy Ritchie met him because he, oh, wanted, okay. he wanted to ask an actual small time London hustler when he was, I think, lock, stock and two smoking barrels when he plays Turkish. Mm. I think it's either that one or the other Guy Ritchie movie that also has Jason Statham in minute. So all of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was like, he brought him in um, just to talk to him for a few minutes about like, oh, well, how would a character like this act? Because I want to cast someone in my films, but uh, South London, small time petty crook. Right, yeah. Um, and Jason Statham walked him through it, and Jason Statham um, stole Guy Ritchie's watch. Oh, really? Yeah, he talked to him, well, this is what they do. They say, like, let me have a look at your watch. And so he's showing, like, you don't want mm. that watch, you want a better watch. And you give him a fake watch, and then you take their nice watch. When you leave, and just, that's really good. How'd you do that? And just never gave him his watch back. <laughs> and, just, and Guy Ritchie went, why am I going to pay a guy to act like this dude? Why don't I just hire this dude? Yeah. So he hired Jason Statham, that's what got him more work. But I love the idea that he actually was a small-time South London petty crook, slash so, male model, slash professional swimmer. Slash, you know, le- leopard print thong music dancer. <laughs> it's great. Oh, it's like... Uh, a the best one of them, though, um, in regards to action stars who's accidentally famous, is Steven Seagal. Um, because have you ever seen any Steven Seagal movies? Um, I've seen clips. I don't think I've ever seen like, a full Steven Seagal movie. And they're all terrible. Uh, and he, and he, every time I can't even like even really understand what he's saying yeah. or anything. Yeah. He is a cripplingly uncharismatic, um, uh, just void of charisma that has no redeeming qualities whatsoever, both as an actor and a human. He's a terrible piece of shit as well. Um, he's, he's always in crap action movies. Um, he just insists that he is an expert on martial arts, despite all of his movies being terrible. <laughs> and despite the fact he always gets his ass kicked in all of them, as like a f- infamous shot in one of his movies where he jogs across a room and he's out of breath. Oh god! And he's supposed to be like this badass martial artist. And the story goes that uh, he was like a hairdresser. Or no, he's his hairdresser um, learned Aikido from him. And his hairdresser also happened to know like a movie casting guy, mm. and they were having a conversation like uh, about how in Hollywood you can make anyone a star um, if you just know the right people. Oh, said, okay. So who were the right people? I'm one of them. I can make anyone famous, and they had a bet to make the most uncharismatic man they could find famous, and they picked fucking Steven Seagal. <laughs> That's his origins it's as a, an actor. That's his rumoured origins, because they've never confirmed that story. But right. when you look at his acting, go, well, how, how, there's no other way he could have got famous. That's such a stupid story, but with how bad an actor he is, that kind of would make sense. Yeah, and that's the rumour of how he got famous, that they just had a bet they could make the most uncharismatic, unattractive, just piece of shit possible into a famous movie star. And they pick Steven Seagal. That's the plot of a bad comedy film. It's the plot of... Um, it's the uh, plot of many bad comedy films. What's it called now? It's not She's the Man. What's the other one I'm thinking of? Because they're doing a remake of it. What's the one, like, that um, Not Another Teen Movie parodies? Where they want to turn, like, the geeky girl into the prom queen? Oh, I can't remember. Because then, oh, She's All That. Oh, okay. Because I always get confused with She's the Man, which is the... Um, uh, That's like the Amanda Bynes, the Amanda Bynes one, where she one pretends is. to be a boy to play soccer, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. Um, uh, She's All That. That's literally the plot of that. Where it's just, oh... Look at the only in this case the person that they're trying to make um, like attractive and successful is neither of those things to start with. 
Yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing with She's All That. It's like, oh, she'll never be the prom queen. And it's like played by like a fucking supermodel. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. the one they've got like the ponytail and the glasses on, which is what they um, uh, make fun of in Not Another Teen Movie. Mm. Where they have just the characters go, you can't make her the prom queen. She's got glasses and paint on her overalls. It's similar to a Miss Congeniality, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, she'll never be successful. Yeah. (laughs) Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock will never be an attractive person because she's got like bad makeup on or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, God damn it. It's all ones like Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like um, uh, like the love interest in all of his movies. Like, oh, no, we can't get the girl. It's like he's Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Yes, he fucking can. Like, he could just look at them and get the girls. <laughs> I, I think he's like three-time world's sexiest man or something like that. Like, Ryan Reynolds can get whoever the fuck he wants. The thing is, you know, for the most part, when you, you say that mockingly, if they could get whoever they want, like, no, it's right. just it's just a term of like, oh yeah, they're pretty attractive, but when, yeah, the sexiest man alive multiple times, is it's fit, pretty certain to say, like, they could probably get any any single person they wanted. Not really. to mention, all oh, Ryan Reynolds is really nice, uh, really funny, really charismatic. I, everything you'd want. Yeah, yeah and uh, I just, I still think one of my favourite tweets of all time is from Ryan Reynolds, where it's just, happy birthday to my lovely wife. Have you seen that one? Oh, Google, Google it if you've not seen it. I you, think I have. But you need to Google it because it's fucking incredible. And I don't want to spoil it if you can't remember it, because mm-hmm. we can get the live reaction to that tweet. And let my monitor get back up. <laughs> That's the one. Why did you not leave Jason Stath and gyrating up? Uh, because it made me uncomfortable knowing that, like, 25 years later, he's in much better shape. Yeah. It really makes me just like, oh, my God, it's Jason. Only look, it's only look at pictures of The Rock, in it. Yeah. And the Rock's, like, nearly 50, and he's bigger than he was when he was, like, a wrestler. There we go. It's fucking fantastic. Is it this? Oh, no. 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 Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a real clip. Oh, I should just describe it to people. So I'll click on the uh, actual post. Oh, oh okay. no, it's on Pinterest. Yeah, you, it is. You, 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 you go off Pinterest. Go off. Go off. Stop. No, Joe's was like a, a thing, mate. Because <laughs> it's just like this is a the ongoing thing of like. Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively just being like dickheads online to each other. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, yeah, it's like when um, so I believe it was it Ryan Reynolds that posted the the tweet first, like "Happy birthday to my yeah. lovely wife." And it's a photo of them both at an event, but he he, fr- he crops it so it's just like the very corner of her face, and then just like one of him right in the middle. So then she like tweets back, "Happy birthday, baby," with just. Ryan Reynolds half cropped out, standing next to Ryan Gosling, looking just dapper as hell. Oh man, it's so funny! It's, oh god, I love that. Just, it's so good. It's <laughs> such a perfect fucking roast, isn't it? Because I just saw that. Pop oh no, up. it was the other way round. So he was getting revenge uh, on her. Either way, it's great. So like, credit to Blake Lively for just being like, "Happy birthday, baby," and just putting Ryan Reynolds in the corner, like cropped out. Like some of the stuff that he's done for a. His take is hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, did you see when he bought a streaming service? Like, he bought the rights to one of his really shit rom-coms. Yes, And he yeah. made a streaming service that only has that movie on it. Yeah, so, I remember that. Because wasn't it, like, Mint or something like that? I can't remember. He did it to, like, advertise, but he's, he's fantastic at advertising. Like, yeah. If he was not as attractive as he is, he would be um, a, a marketing executive. And the thing is, regardless of, like his levels of attractiveness, he's just 
so charismatic. Yeah, it's and like, that's why he can sell things so well because he just seems very charismatic, charismatic and genuine. But he's a genius in regards to just marketing in mm-hmm. general, like yeah. with the Pokemon movie. Oh god, that they that was so good, and like the fact that he leaned into just like, oh yeah, well I've been really getting into like the Pikachu role itself, and that like you know fake interview where it's like, you know. I didn't pick my kids up from school because I'm, kids. I, I'm, I'm method acting. And Pikachu wouldn't go pick up kids from school, would he? Like, Pikachu doesn't have kids. It's just so, like, they basically handed the reins for all the advertising to him. And for a fraction that have spent on a marketing blitz, they just paid him like a million dollars and gave him access to some assets. Is that with Deadpool? I was going to say they probably learned from Deadpool, didn't they? Because, just, yeah. They- let Ryan do what Ryan does. So the story with that is they slash the budget of that movie um, at the last possible second, and they even have a, a reference to that in the film where Deadpool forgets his guns. Oh, they, yeah, and he leaves them in the trunk of the taxi, doesn't because he? Because they were originally going to have a fight scene where he goes in with that big bag of guns and mm-hmm. uses all those guns in a really massive, huge fight scene, and then they got the budget slashed. And he was like, oh, I guess we'll just put in an insert of me forgetting the guns. And then like, we've got no money for marketing. Because they chose, do you want an action scene or do you want marketing? He went, just let us do it. Yeah. Um, um, I do feel dirty for saying the word trunk, by the way, instead of boot. Ah, it's know, fine. I'm British and it's the boot of the car. But I think he just leaves it in like, the back seat. I can't remember. But he just leaves it in the car, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, like his reasoning when Joe bought the Deadpool um, uh, billboard. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Where it's just uh, the little skull face and then the poo emoji and an L. Like he got sent that as an idea, and they're like, "Oh, okay, we can afford this many billboards and buy one." <laughs> so while like you don't need to buy multiple, buy one, take a photo of it and post it online, and then people will share it for you. True, yeah. You only need to buy the one billboard. It's like all oh, the one where they made it look like a rom com. That one, that was... one was fucking incredible. And again, they only had it up for about a week, but once it had been up for that week and it had been shared online, it, you basically it's like you can't buy that kind of marketing. Because it's not the fact that a lot of people will genuinely take like their partner to go see it, tricking them into making them think it's a Valentine's Day movie. It's more the joke about the fact that that could happen. Yeah, and because then, it was like released on Valentine's Day, wasn't it, or around yeah. that time? It, on the fourteenth, it, it came out on yeah. Valentine's Day at um, Ryan Reynolds' um, behest. And it's so good. That's the one. It's like it's people sharing it that they're in on the joke. They don't want to. No, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. But do you know that I know? It's like, well, yeah. But I just, oh god, like he's he should do a seminar on it. He should, and you know what should be playing in the background of that seminar is just Pikachu doing Dancing. like the eighties dance For like in the hours. background, just exercising. Away. Just two hours straight of him just dancing in the background. Because just that one video. Think about how often that was just like gift and shared online. Mm-hmm. I'll buy just Pikachu dancing. And it costs what? Nothing? It, yeah. It costs them, like, what? The animator, 10 minutes mm-hmm. um, uh, in the studio to, like, you know, just take the model and make it do that. And they send it to Ryan and he just posts it on his, like, fucking YouTube channel. And it's like, fuck it. Yeah, so, this is going to get millions of, hit, like, views. So when he took the costume, wasn't it? He just took the Deadpool costume and walked around with it on. Or when he did the um, the shot where he's just, like, doing the, the classic, like, Playboy outfit pose. Yeah. Just. just did that for the spread. Yeah. And just, Easy. It's like, oh, just Ryan. Just Ryan. Do you remember as well why he, want, he, com- he campaigned to play Deadpool? Was it not just because he's like always been a big fan of the Deadpool comic? Ne- he wasn't a fan originally, no, but fans of Deadpool thought Ryan Reynolds could play him, including oh, okay. a Deadpool writer who, um, at one point in one of the comics, um, Deadpool's describing his own face and says, 
a, like a cross between a Sharpe and Ryan Reynolds. Like Sharpe uh, being the dog. Yeah. And Ryan Reynolds on a whim when he was told by a fan, like, have you heard that people want you to play Deadpool? Like, I'm not familiar with the character. Um, I, I'll, I'll lock it up, I guess. And he bought a random Deadpool comic, opened it up to a random page and saw that line. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, it's, it's made to be. Like, what are the odds of that happening? That the first Deadpool comic I buy and open immediately, I'm greeted by just a descriptor of the character and they look exactly like me. Cross with a dog, but like so my name is literally on the page. Yeah. And he just told his agent, if you ever hear anything about a Deadpool project, I want to be involved. Because I remember like seeing interviews with him for the Deadpool movie, not the Origins Wolverine movie. And he's like, no, I'm a fan of the comics and I want it to be done right. But I presume at that point he'd already played Deadpool the first yeah. time, knows what the character's meant to be, is actually a fan of the comics at this point, and yeah. is like, no, I want Deadpool done Without his mouth being sewn up. Yeah, that's what made him into a fan. Mm-hmm. And then the story goes that when X-Men Origins came around, because by that point, like that movie had been development hell for a few years, and he was trying to give the director advice on how Deadpool should be handled. And there's a story that a guy in Fox hates the character because in his words, I think it's... We did an article, I forget the guy's name now, but mm. he hates the character of Deadpool because he didn't think audiences would get the breaking the fourth wall thing. And he was so insistent that audiences would not get that and that they would feel confused by it. He refused to let that be an aspect of the film. And he hated the fact the character never shut up. And he said, no, the character's annoying. So no, you find him annoying. A lot of fans find him endearing. I'm so confused by that because you can even look at just way older like bits of media, like, for example, Saved by the Bell, which I watched when I was younger. Yep. Like that main character stops the scenes and breaks the fourth wall actively throughout every episode. People get it, yeah. People understand it. Like, it's not a hard concept to grasp. But that director refused to believe that people would, and because he was the director, I think he was the guy who greenlit Titanic. And because of that, like, he's one of those people in the industry, you listen to the guy who greenlit Titanic. You listen to the guy who greenlit the movie that made us a billion dollars, because people told him Titanic would be a failure, mm-hmm. and he made a billion dollars. And so when he's saying, like, Deadpool will never work, people generally listen to him. And mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds got really pissed off, and he was told point blank by that guy, um, this is the only version of the character that's going to get made. If you want to play him, you've got to play this version of him, because we're yeah. never going to make another movie. And then Ryan Reynolds scraped together some money with the director of Deadpool. They did that short. And if you watch that short, Deadpool says, director camera, hi, that guy's name. Oh, okay. So if yeah. you watch it, he says, hi, and to someone, uh, can you think, who is that? That's the guy who said Deadpool movie would never get made. And then if you go back and watch that, like, previs that they made, that concept. Yeah, that's where he says it, yeah. It's almost, like, essentially shot for shot, but with better, you know, lightning shooting budget yeah. in the actual movie. Like, the, the actual concept that they put on paper is pretty much what went in the movie. Yeah, and uh, they have, if you, anyone's watched that previous one, I wonder why does Deadpool say hi? I don't remember the guy's name, but he says hi to someone. Mm-hmm. That's the guy who didn't want there to be a Deadpool movie made. I love the fact that they're just willing. In the concept, when they're trying to get approval for this movie, they shout out, like, hi, fuck you, that guy. Like, yeah. obviously, they don't say fuck you, but they just... It's it, the proverbial fuck you, isn't it? It was, and that's one of the reasons that it didn't get uh, made. It got shelved. He got shelved because that guy got wind of it and didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So that one guy being petty almost held that thing off. And he stopped a Deadpool movie getting made for about 10, 15 years almost. And yeah, then he went and made a billion dollars at the box. And then again, the reason the budget got slashed is because he interfered, found out he was getting made, and then made them slash the budget by about $20 million after they'd already committed to it and Mm. they'd planned everything out with it. And then... 
that movie. In terms of like comic book movies, it turned out to be like one of the most profitable. Not yeah. not one of the highest earning, but one of the most profitable because their budget was so low. Yeah, it was like um, sixty to seventy million dollars. Ryan Reynolds even like took a slash to his book, um, paycheck. Mm. Him and the director didn't take any money for it, or they took very little money and took like uh, points on the back end. Yeah, until like obviously, yeah, they to get, get it made. They get all the money um, after the fact when it just made a shit ton of money. But um, yeah, then you know you look at Deadpool two and it's got what like five times the budget and yep. it's probably not as good a movie. <laughs> no, it's not as strong because um, you know it's it's hard to like, you know replicate catching lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. But it's really funny when you heard Fox after the fact. Yeah, we really believe in Deadpool. We think it's going to do well. So like you spent a decade and a half literally sh- sh- like sewing his mouth shut. <laughs> That you literally silence the character in the film. It's like he's called the Merc with a mouth, and you actively ripped his mouth off. It's like fucking hell. I do love though that Ryan Reynolds insisted on putting that bit at the end where he shoots himself in the face for reading the Green Lantern yeah. script. <laughs> that is like because it's so on the nose. But the idea that he knows how bad that film is, yeah. and he feels really bad about it because he was a fantastic casting for Hal Jordan. Like, yeah, like, generically handsome white dude. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing is you can believe that, like, oh, yeah, well, he is, you know, the symbol of the Green Lantern at core. And it's like, yeah, I can believe that. Him playing Hal Jordan, I can believe that he's, like, a cocky but really good guy. And then, um, yeah, the rest of the movie was just real bad. I do like some of the bits of it because the thing I like about the Green Lanterns is that their power is entirely imagination and will-based, so there's Mm -hmm. no limit to what they can do. And when, like, there's that car crash happening and he makes, like, the racetrack. Oh, that's right, pretty yeah. cool. That's a cool application of that, or, like, when he's uh, punching parallax into the sun hmm. and he summons two, like, Green Lantern jets to keep him from getting <laughs> sucked into the sun and then charges. Like, that's a really interesting application of that power. It's just a shame the movie looks bad. And I just always find it funny, though, when you look at, like, Green Lanterns and... The, the, you know, two human Green Lanterns just make such boring objects compared to, like, all the other Green Lanterns that have such imagination. Like the alien ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a load of really cool stuff about the Lanterns, though, in the comics. Right? I say two Green Lanterns. I'm sure there's a lot more than the regular two, just Hal Jordan yeah. and John Stewart, but yeah. Like John Stewart's actually really good because um, his backstory is that he's an engineer. Mm-hmm. And they say that because he's an engineer, he has an engineer's mind when thinking about his constructs, I think they're called in the comics. And he designs them down to the nuts and bolts. He doesn't just imagine, like, you know, a giant fist. Or a big jet. He imagines, like, every inner working of what would go into making a giant, like, construct with his mind. And because of that, they're, like, the strongest of any Green Lantern. Oh, okay, that's cool. Because he builds them from, like, the ground up rather than just creating something. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm just going to imagine a building. No, he imagines, like, the scaffolding and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you have, like, Sinestro, because he's an alien, just makes alien shit. Yeah. Oh, God. And I do love the idea of just seeing a Green Lantern movie, but yeah, that was bad. That was real bad. And they like, could make it so interesting. They could. And that's the thing is, they realistically with CGI now can make those constructs whatever they want. Like, we have the technology to film a Green Lantern film where anything can be made and you aren't restricted by effects. That's why they had that good bit anyway. It's like uh, Ryan Reynolds like just summons a minigun. Mm. And like I wanted to see more stuff like that because um, in the Injustice games, I really like just some of the random animations a Green Lantern has. Like his forward throw is like he grabs you and then just holds his ring up and the person looks around and then just 
Green Lantern bricks fall on the head. Oh, right. So you just say, I'm just going to replicate bricks, because when they're replicated by the, the ring, they have the same, um, like, impact and, like, no, um, uh, material density of the thing that that's being imagined, as long as the person's will holds. Mm. So you have stuff like, oh, you'll summon, like, a brick wall out of and Green Lantern kick rings. Them through the kick wall. them through the wall. Yeah. It's so good. I think that's like his back throwing one of them and it's yeah. just like, yeah, that's he, so good. He just summons a brick wall and then throws him through the brick wall. And like in the comics, you've got him doing shit like he makes a like a car with his lone logo on it and drives <laughs> it through space. Because <laughs> he just imagines a car that can drive through space and it make the ring makes it for him. That's so good. Like he can just fly. Like he can just, you know, cover himself in the hard light and fly that. But the fact that he's like no, you know what I'll do? I'll make a branded Green Lantern car instead and yeah. fly that. And then I'm going to use that. And um, I've done an article on the website about the Green Lantern rings. And the reason they're so stupid is because um, they are only limited by your imagination and your your force of will. And if you have a strong enough force of will, there is literally nothing you cannot do with a Green Lantern ring, including making another Green Lantern ring. Oh my God. Which is what one of the Green Lanterns does. And he makes another Green Lantern ring with his ring, and then uses that ring to make another one, and he wears like them on everything. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like, how would you fight that man? And I guess like technically would make them stronger, even if they can't use like all of them at once. But the rings need like recharging in the batteries, yeah. don't they? That's so. the thing they do until they don't, because if oh, your will right. is strong enough, you can just charge it with your will. Right? Okay. <laughs> it's like I love that because. That's so stupid, the idea that if you really, really try super hard, you are unstoppable. And that makes me think, okay, in that vein, to end on, what character do you think would be stronger, strongest with a Green Lantern ring? What character oh. in fiction do you think has the absolute strongest sense of willpower? Um, oh, I don't know. That's really tough. Because willpower, if people don't like like comic book movies that or comic books that much, is um, it's generally accepted to be its own form of superpower mm-hmm. um, in both DC and Marvel canon. Um, they where they say willpower, um, whilst not a superhuman attribute in of itself, it allows a person to do superhuman things. So a character like Spider Man, for example, because of his superhuman sense, almost superhuman sense of will. He is able to like you know survive attacks that would ordinarily kill someone with the, with the same power set because he's so just committed to saving the day. It allows people to like exceed their limits in like in regards to strength and things like that because their sense of will will not let them falter. It's like that um really famous comic book scene that they did in Spider-Man Homecoming like they paid allusion to where he's crushed underneath the building but he lifts the entire building he, because he believes he in himself. believes in himself enough that he can lift it up and he like exceeds his limits as you say. And... Oh, like just the train scene. Yes, like the, yeah. the iconic Spider-Man Two one. Like yeah. His sense of like you know willpower will not let him give up, so he like you know surpasses the limits that he has to do that. And thinking like, what character do you think would be strong if you just gave him the Green Lantern ring? Well, like Peter Parker was one of the ones I was thinking of, and like I, I'm sure they've probably done this, but I'm like Superman. Well, no, I was thinking Batman. I don't think he's got a very but strong sense of willpower. I don't know if he does or not. So I know they gave him a um, their yellow ring in one comic, which is fear. Yes. And he uses that because um, the people don't know, like, there's the emotional spectrum, it's called, and yellow is fear. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a great control of fear. It just means that you either are able to overcome your own fear or um, uh, um, cause fear in others. And Batman would be quite good at doing that, especially if they knew he had, like, basically a space station 
um, equivalent nuclear reactor on his right hand. <laughs> Maybe like um, Dick Grayson would be better than Batman. It's like Dick Grayson's similar to Batman in the sense that he's just a regular man trying to fight all of these like super powered, just over the top beings, like dark side and shit. But Dick Grayson's just, you know, way less insane and a bit more honorable than Batman seems yeah. to be. And it makes you think, doesn't it? Like, if you go even just staying in the realm of complex Spider Man, it'd probably be him. Or maybe someone like um, uh, Thing. Because one thing I like about Thing from the comics, and we talked about in a video, where mm. um, his willpower in Marvel canon is said to be the highest of anyone's. Yeah. Like, he's well regarded in comics as like having the strongest sense of willpower. And it's said that he will never give up in any situation, regardless of how tough the, uh, the situation is. And we had a video about it where it's like, no one can beat the Thing. And they have a scene in a comic book where a guy is beating him to death and the thing won't give up. And the guy says, like, I can kill this man, but I can't break his... I can break his bones, but I can't break his spirit. Oh, right, yes. And I remember when we made that video, we got a bunch of comments, can both Hulk stronger? Because there's different kinds of strength. There emotional strength is one of those things. But the fact that you just say, no, Hulk stronger, shows that you don't understand that concept. And um, I just realised that we, you know, failed to mention one Marvel character. It's that? pretty obvious. Captain America. Captain America. Holding back. Uh, we've heard that, um, the theory. But during Thanos, he's just backhanding everyone in Infinity War. Oh, yeah. yeah. And when, like, you know, he takes out Vision, he takes out, like, fucking Hulkbuster arm. And then for one second, Captain America just holds his hand back. Mm-hmm. And Thanos, you even see Thanos, like, the fuck is going on here? There's a theory that I personally, like, ascribe to, because it makes a lot of sense, is that the stones require such an immense amount of willpower and force of will to control and that's why Thanos is so good because obviously he's so determined and set on his mission. Mm-hmm. He's able to control them and channel all of them into a single action. But in that moment, Captain America is touching the glove. And because he is equal, his willpower is equal, if not greater, in that moment, the stones temporarily stop working. They're like not sure who to listen to, yeah. kind of thing. And that's why he's overpowering. Even like if Thanos wasn't on their glove, he'd kill Captain America. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's stronger than the Hulk. But in that moment, Captain America is channeling the stones and like has the power stone inside of him. Oh, God, that's that's a, that's a cool theory, and I just thought... To, I, I believe that one. But I thought, like, you know, again, Thanos is super powerful, but he does have a very strong sense of will. He does, yeah, he's the, he and takes absolute power and um, says no. What happens, though, if not only you give him the Green Lantern ring, you put that ring on his Infinity Gauntlet? Oh, man, the Pimp Gauntlet. Like, the Pimp Gauntlet, which just like... And then he has the willpower to make more rings, and he just has a ring on every single finger on the Infinity Gauntlet. Because that's one, you don't necessarily have to be a, vil- uh, a good guy to have a strong sense of will, so he could do that. Yeah, because, like, it's not a sense of justice or a sense of, like, honour or anything like that. It's willpower. It's a commitment to, like, you know, knowing what you're doing. And uh, if there's anyone committed to a cause, it's fucking Thanos. Yeah. Well, he does like use the stones to destroy the stones in the MCU, which is like you know a feat of like you no know, willpower that's like unmatched. Because he, he he is set out to do one thing, achieves it, and go. Well, I'm going to make sure this is solidified in time. Yeah, he, um, uh, he has absolute power over the entirety of reality, and says no. That He's takes. Like, I did what I, I did what I set out to do. I'm going to get rid of this power now. Like that yeah. takes a lot of um, willpower to be able to look, have an absolute authority over everything in creation, and go. Now I'm good. Mm-hmm. I deleted half of it. I'm all right now. It's like Doctor Doom, where Doctor Doom um, overcomes, I think, Black Purple Man in the comic books through sheer force of will. Oh my god! Because they, um, Purple Man says, "I bet you wouldn't like shit taught me if you weren't, weren't wearing that helmet." So he takes his helmet off, and Purple Man says, "Let me go." 
And Doctor Doom just says, no. Or the other one, I think maybe the Punisher in one comic where um, Ghost Rider uses the penance stare on him and it doesn't work. Oh, God, yeah. And the Punisher's like, yeah, that doesn't work on me. And Ghost like, what do you mean? All you all you should be hearing is the like endless screaming torment of the innocents. And he goes, well, that's all I hear anyway. Yeah, and that's the thing with the penance stare is you have to like feel guilty for what you do. And, and you have to have hurt an innocent. And you have to have hurt an innocent. But whereas like, you know, the Punisher is just like, no, I did what I did to people that deserved it and I have no remorse for what I did. Fuck yeah. you. But when they say that to me, it feels no different from any other day. It's like, that's a fucking cold ass line to say to the <laughs> flaming skeleton man. And then um, recently when we like put out a carnage video, like I had to look up the different versions of like, I don't think it ended up in the video, but um, yeah, when Ghost Rider like does the pen and stare on other people and it was like, you know, on Carnage, and Carnage is just like laughing in the face of Ghost Rider. Because he's a complete sociopath and he has no remorse to feel. Mm-hmm. And then like um, Deadpool, where it's like, oh, cool. So it's going to be like a highlight reel then. Yeah, of everything cool he did in his life. And like, it insane. fucks him up for a second, but then he just gets up and punches Ghost Rider. It's like, fuck off. Because Deadpool's insane. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, it's like, I think Penn and Stedless is, it's neat and it's not really being showcased that well or effectively in a lot of them. Um, media where Ghost Riders appeared outside of the comics. Yeah, like, there is nuance to it in that sense, but for the most part, like, Ghost Rider will just use it, kill somebody, done. Like, on most enemies, it just works. I think it'd be great if they had, like, a, a weaker version of it. Because I, I like the I, I have <laughs> an idea, I saw someone float was, just make Ghost Rider go on Twitch and just stream himself doing the penance stare. <laughs> And it'd be like a viral challenge for kids of like, how long can you watch Ghost Rider's Twitch stream with the penance stare? Oh, God. But imagine, like, not the penance stare, but like the mini penance stare, like the penance glance. Yeah. Where it's just like, I'm not going to make you, like, die from remorse. I'm just going to make you feel really bad. Yeah. I'm not going to make you feel all the pain you've inflicted upon innocence. I'm mm. going to make you feel the inconveniences and secondhand embarrassment you've done that to. <laughs> It's so like all those times where someone's been doing a thing in a party where someone talks mm. and then someone else talks over them and they do that and they slowly trail off and stop talking. I want to make you feel that secondhand embarrassment oh. for all the times you've ever done that at once and just make you collapse from anxiety. <laughs> Every time you like could have held the door open for somebody but actively didn't. Like, yeah. Fuck you. Just that minor moment of indignation, but you're going to feel that times like all the times you've ever caused it. How good a person have you actually been? The, the penance glance. I like that. I like that as a thing. Yeah. And you know what? We can end it with the penance glance. Is there anything you'd like to plug, Mon Uh Yeah, there is. Um, and I'll I'll open it up with, like, I mentioned uh, last week that I'd be trying to do a little charity stream with some yeah. Pokemon games. Uh, because, like, I may or may not be coming back to Sheffield with you uh, when this is out, I will be doing it next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So that will be uh, Tuesday the 17th. So I'll be on twitch.tv slash legendnacanto. It'll be for Save the Children, just doing some like Pokemon Snap, and you can challenge me to like a Pokemon battle donations. That's going to be difficult to do. Do you have to like switch between multiple uh, things? Yes, I will. Work. But I can do like, you know, during the stage of Pokemon Snap, if someone challenges me, I can like boot up Pokemon and do it that You need to like thing. figure out a way to get like the sound clip of the battle. Oh yeah, and someone's like donated to challenge me. And the thing is, like I've got, 
two switches. I was thinking, like, yeah, and Jenna's got one, and just swap the hot swap the switches so there's no loading between the two games. Because otherwise, that's gonna. Be, I think if you did that, that'd be awesome. Go, dilla, 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 like switch the stream straight over. Like, boo, doo, 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 and <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And just have the battle ready to go. Like, have the song queued up to play. Yeah, that'd when be awesome. someone does that. Yeah, uh, I'll try and incorporate that. Um, but yeah, so I'll be doing that uh, on the 17th and like, I'm not sure whether you'll be joining me, Carl. Yeah, sure. I'll save some uh, children. So yeah, we'll be doing that and trying our best to like, you know, just raise anything we can. Um, so I'll probably be doing that maybe about 9pm UK time. Um, but we'll we'll sort it all out and I'll tweet about it and stuff like that. But, yeah, so that's at uh, some point during the day for Americans. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Depending on your time zone. Exactly. I'm not going to say any specific time because it'll get the wrong. So, well, that's not the time where I live. It's like, sorry. Yeah. There's like four hours within American time zones or something like that. So, yeah, we only have one time zone to deal with, okay? Yeah, we've got um, uh, my time, (laughs) which is like two hours later than everyone else's time because I wake up at 10 instead of 8. And then mine's like two hours later than yours. I wake up like midday half the time. We've got Lucas time and Carl time, but there you go. They both average out to be a couple hours after everything else. Um. But yeah, and then like obviously, as we mentioned, like you can send any questions you've got for us. Um, you can send your questions for the Q and A podcast to Carl's Corner Q A at gmail dot com. Do we have any of those? Uh, yeah, we do. We have a few that I need to look through properly and stuff. So yeah. we, while I'm here, we might be able to do that. Uh we could do off off like recording off time. Yeah. Either way, yeah, sure.